Hi, folks. You are want to start a passive income business or maybe you are interested in interviewing high-class people and starting a podcast. Today, we have the expert on board with John Lee Dumas from Entrepreneur on Fire. Hi, John. How are you doing? Martin, I am fired up to be here, brother. Thanks for having me. Great. Can you tell the people what is actually Entrepreneur on Fire? So Entrepreneur on Fire is a daily podcast that I started four years ago where I interview today's most successful and inspiring entrepreneurs. And we talk about their journey, their worst moments, lessons learned, their aha moments, how they turn those aha moments into success. And then we have a lightning round of questions that is meant to give gold to the listeners. And uh, we've now done over 1,300 episodes to wow. date. We're consistently getting over 1 million listens per month of the show. And it's simply been a blast. Great. I mean, basically, this is the same stuff that I'm doing. <laughs> awesome. And why did you start this kind of podcast? Did you just stumble into that? And then you, at one point in time, you realize, hey, there could be some business opportunity. What is the story behind Entrepreneur on Fire? You know, Entrepreneur on Fire is really a, is a solving of my own problem. I mean, the reality is this, Martin, is that I was a struggling business person back in 2012, 11, 10. And so I was looking to consume content that would inspire me, that would motivate me, that would bring me to the next level. And I found podcasting and I loved podcasting, but the reality was there just wasn't a daily podcast. There was a weekly podcast. There was a podcast that was going twice a month. It just wasn't enough quantity for me because I was driving to work every single day by myself. You know, I was going to the gym. I was doing this, doing that. I wanted to be able to consume this content all of those times. And so I searched for the daily podcast. It didn't exist. I decided to follow Gandhi's great words and be the change you wish to see in the world. And that was the launch of EO Fire. Awesome. And imagine you're just having this idea of starting this podcast. How did you find the first podcast interview partners? It wasn't easy, but the reality was I saw that there were a lot of people who had been guests on other shows. And so I said, well, those people would likely want to be guests on my shows as well. So I reached out to them one by one and said, hey, you were a great guest on this show. I really enjoyed your content. I would love for you to come and share a similar story on my show, but I have a very unique format. You know, we talk about your worst moment, your aha moment. I have these lightning round questions. Would this be something you'd be interested in having a conversation about? And then slowly but surely, step by step, I would be getting one guest to two guests. And then those two guests would recommend a third guest. And I was really able to build a great backlog of guests and interviews that way. Nice. Nowadays, we have like 1 million podcast listens a month. Awesome. How did you start with your podcast marketing and really attracting the first 1,000, the first 10,000 subscribers? So for me, again, it goes back to that building a foundation. I think that's so important. I launched just like everybody else launched with zero listens. And then every single day I woke up and I said, how can I just add to my listenership? How can I go find where my perfect listeners are right now and expose them to Entrepreneur on Fire, to my podcast, and to maybe excite them to join. And it wasn't easy, but you know, I had to hustle. I had to go into Facebook groups and LinkedIn groups. I had to go find Reddits and go read posts that were being written by entrepreneurs and commented by and, and contribute. I had to really get out there and do some guerrilla marketing. And then of course, you know, having a show that goes live every single day with a successful entrepreneur, I would ask that guest of my show to share with their audience. So then every single day, my guest was sharing EO Fire with their listeners, with their audience. 
And that was growing exponentially the show every single day. And when you had like maybe 5,000, 10,000 subscribers, did you approach some kind of podcast advertisers or did they approach you? And at what point in time did you think, okay, let's start rolling the US dollars? So at the six month point, I was really getting to a place where I said, man, I'm getting about three to 4,000 listens every single episode. This is a significant number. Maybe it's time to start looking for sponsors. So I started kind of looking around on my own. But just how sometimes the universe works and you put things out there in the universe, I got reached out to by a broker that was a sponsorship broker. And the company was called The Midroll. Mm -hmm. And the guy emailed me and said, hey, John, I'd love to jump on a call because, you know, we're The Midroll. We, we find sponsors for podcasts and we're looking to bring in a business podcast. You know, right now we pretty much just focus on the comedy shows. And so my show appealed to them for a number of reasons. You know, number one, it was a daily show. So there's a lot of opportunities for sponsorship spots on a daily show, 30 a month specifically. And so we tried it out. And by the end of that same week, that broker had already booked over $12,000 of sponsors on my show for the following month. So wow. EO Fire went from no sponsors and almost no revenue for the first six months to generating five figures a month from month seven. And then by the 12th month, so a year later after we launched, we had entered the six figure a month category. I can really imagine your face dropping down when you say, what, $12,000 for sponsorship? <laughs> wow. I mean, if I'm calculating just in my head, yeah, having a 1 million monthly listeners and you are getting like $80,000 approximately translates into $80 CPM. Why is that CPM so crazy high? And what is your expectations on uh, the podcasting CPMs for the future? The CPMs were so high because with podcast listeners, it's just very, it's a very intimate medium. I mean, they are choosing to press play on your content. Unlike a radio where you just find your radio station and do this, do that. Podcast listeners have found the content, they found the host that they want, and they've decided to press the play button and they get to know the host. They get to know, like, and trust the voice behind the microphone, so to speak. So when I spent six months growing a great audience with Fire Nation, now they trust me. So when I recommend a product or a service to them, boom, they're much more likely to try that service because it's coming from somebody that they know, like, and trust, not some just voice that's sharing with them the ups and the downs in a very sales, marketing, pitchy kind of way. So that's why CPMs have sometimes, you know, for podcasts been anywhere from, you know, fill in the blank. I mean, anywhere from $15 CPMs all the way up to $60 CPMs. And I, I've seen them range all in there since I've started. And it's a very powerful medium. Now, for the future of podcasting, it's interesting because, you know, like everything in life, Now people are becoming a lot more used to sponsors on podcasts. So they're becoming a little more tone deaf to that. When back in the day, it just was kind of an oddity. And so if you were able to use a unique read and keep the listeners interested, they probably listened. But now it's a little bit different. It's a lot more crowded of a marketplace. So I kind of foresee CPMs decreasing in the future, but never to a level of like a radio or a newspaper or a billboard. Yeah. But just kind of down from the stratosphere that they've been at for so long. Yeah, definitely. Because I would also add one more dimension because you said basically you have a higher trust, therefore the CPM is higher. 
but apparently the audience is getting used to this. Therefore, the conversion rates and thereby the generated sales decrease. Therefore, the yeah the willingness to pay from the advertiser will go down. But one more factor I would like to add is there are so many new podcasts uh, reaching out and actually competing against each other. Because if there are millions of business podcasts out there, then you should give me a very good reason for advertising on your podcast versus another one. I definitely agree. And it's interesting because again, that was when they first reached out to me, my broker, they said, you know, we haven't sponsored on any business podcast before. We haven't used any. Like I was literally the first business podcast that this broker, which is the biggest broker that's out there, the Midroll is their name. They actually just acquired Stitcher Radio like a week ago. Uh-huh. It's just crazy to think and to say. Are you looking into your podcast marketing or, or user acquisition statistics? And can you give us some kind of detail on where are the new users coming from? And what type of marketing tactics are you using in order to boost that? Really, the new types of acquisition are coming from, number one, my current guests sharing to their audience when they're on the show. So that's always bringing a new ears to the actual podcast. And number two is just organic iTunes. Like on iTunes, like we have people that are every single day, they're searching for content. And when they're looking for the top ranked business podcast or they're searching for key terms in the iTunes search bar, whether it be entrepreneur or, you know, fill in the blank, and they're coming across my podcast that way. So discoverability within iTunes and then also just sharing with our audience, with the guest audience. And are you doing anything on let's call it podcast SEO or something like that. So uh, I don't know, optimizing keywords, et cetera, so that your discoverability is improved? No, nope, nothing in that area. Okay, cool. On your side, I've seen that you have working with uh, freelancers and uh, virtual assistants. Let me understand how is your work day or your work week structured and how are you collaborating with those f- freelancers? Yeah, so we have actually five full-time virtual assistants, and then two freelancers, two independent contractors, so to speak. So mm-hmm. our five virtual assistants work 40 hours per week. Um, so they're just working full-time. They have their tasks. They know what they're doing. And then our independent contractors, we actually have them on retainer. So we have them for our designers, 40 hours per month, and our web developers, 30 hours per month. And we pay them based off of that. So we have them for at minimum those amount of hours every single month. And then just as different campaigns come up or opportunities arise, we will then uh, reach out to them and have them fix it up for us and have them do a design or you know fix up a website or add this or add that. Um, and it's on a kind of a very one-off basis. I would assume that the virtual assistants are working on your interview partner backlog, so to speak, arrange the meetings, maybe do some transcribing or something like this. Anything else that they are doing? Um, yeah, we definitely, like you said, we have the transcribing. We have a lot of email follow-up going on. We have a lot of social media, you know, for whether it be Twitter or Facebook or whatever it might be, you know, kind of keeping the conversations going and making sure there's, if there's any direct questions to me that I get those questions, et cetera. So there's a lot of different things that we do on a day-to-day basis uh, for sure and that my virtual assistants do going forward that they just know because, you know, it's their 40 hours per week. And I've also seen that you have a very diverse type of revenue stream. So from affiliate earnings, from podcast advertising, from uh, product sales, and so on and so forth. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? And how did you experiment with those different revenue streams over time? And how do you think the revenue split will change within the next 12 months and why? 
Yeah, revenue streams are definitely something you always want to keep your finger on the pulse with when it comes to being an entrepreneur because things are changing. You know, the world is changing, um, opportunities are changing, new things are coming up, um, old ways are dying, et cetera. So you always want to keep your finger on the pulse. And that's one thing that we've always done that I'm very proud of at EO Fire is we're very open and transparent and honest with our with our personal revenue. So every single month we publish an income report where we break down all the revenue that we've generated, how we've generated it. We break down all of our costs and expenses within the business and exactly what that looks like. So we give a really great snapshot of our business every single month, the trends, what's working, what's not working, et cetera, et cetera. And that's been a, a really big part of our business is continuing going forward with that transparency. So that's been huge. And that's been a big, big plus for our, what we do. Because it's also allowed me to say, you know, hey, what is working revenue-wise? Like, what's the 80-20? And that, and that meaning, what's the 20% that's actually contributing to 80% of the overall bottom line? And really making sure that we focus on that 20% and kind of just let the other 80% of stuff that's just not doing the big impact kind of drift off into nothing. And so that's kind of really allowed us to hone our skills. So some of our big revenue sources right now are Podcasters Paradise, which is our podcasting community where we teach people how to create, grow, and monetize their own podcast. Another one is The Freedom Journal, which is a physical book that I've created, which teaches people um, how to set and accomplish their number one goal in 100 days. And it's done via this gorgeous leather-bound journal mm -hmm. that has a very unique step-by-step -step process on setting and accomplishing your number one goal. We do a lot of uh, great affiliates and joint venture uh, sales and revenue. And that's just where like one of, you know, Another entrepreneur, one of my friends, whatever, might have a course, a product, an offering that definitely aligns with my listenership and my audience. And what are we able to do? Boom, we are able to go ahead and bring them on the show or send an email about them and recommend their product or service. And if anybody converts, then we'll have a, a commission off of that as well. So those are some ways that we generate revenue. And going forward, I can say I'm working on another project right now that's uh, very similar to the Freedom Journal, but it's going to be in a very uh, different niche and a different spectrum. Oh yeah, and kind of going backwards again real quick is uh, we, we generate a lot of money every month as well via podcast sponsorships, you know, to the tune of sometimes forty to fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 per month. So that's a big revenue stream for us as well. So um, those are some things. And then again, going into the future, it's, it's looking at another project similar to the Freedom Journal and another project that I'm working on right now is actually called Skills on Fire, where I'm just going to uh, kind of be teaching for a very low level as far as Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, just, you know, how I use these in a very effective way. This is not like an all-encompassing premium course type of thing, but just how I use these different social media platforms and different marketing platforms effectively for people that want to kind of study that. Cool. John, when I'm looking at this kind of revenue and the profits that you are making, my question is, what are you doing with the profits? Are you just enjoying your time? Are you investing in organic growth or diversification, uh, which is partly one thing what you're doing? Or are you an angel investor? What are you doing with this profits? Yeah. And I can tell you, it's definitely a good question. And there's a, a couple of things that we're doing. Number one, we're definitely making sure that we're putting a good portion of this away because When we work hard and things are working well right now, you know, I know as well as anybody else that things can change in the future at any time. And, you know, it's the best part about hosting EO Fire is I start every show, you know, with the worst entrepreneurial moments. <laughs> That's just the reality. <laughs> so I know 
that the next worst moment is right around the corner because nobody expects it. It just happens. Boom. Just like that. So, you know, we're definitely looking to, to build up quite the nest egg to make sure that, you know, when things change and things always change, you know, that we have a nice little nest egg so that we can make sure that we smoothly transition into that next stage or opportunity in life. You know, at the same time, uh, we definitely are investing back into our business with a certain proportion of the money. You know, we are investing in Facebook advertising and, and different like Amazon growth opportunities, like with the Freedom Journal on Amazon. You know, I'm looking at different ways to use Amazon advertising to get that in front of more people, et cetera. So we're definitely looking to invest back into the company with organic growth and, and hire people. Like, you know, another thing is we're actually hiring another employee to our team, which is going to add to our monthly expenses, but we know is going to add to also the overall growth of our business if they're used correctly. So a little combination of organic growth, a lot of savings, just kind of being stacked up for, you know, what may or may not happen in the future. So just kind of having that peace of mind. And, you know, we're big into charities. Like I donate a lot of money every single month to charities like Pencils of Promise, where we built three schools at over $75,000 in just the past year alone through Pencils of Promise with three separate $25,000 donations. So, you know, we kind of want to have that full spectrum that makes sense. And uh, that's where we're at. Cool. So, John, I've been talking to you about this entrepreneur on fire thing. So how do you monetizing how how you build this kind of business? And now I would be very interested in, for example, if you're looking back to this 1,300 podcast, what have been the three major learnings or fuck ups or whatever Mm -hmm. that entrepreneurs shared with you? Wow. Well, number one, is just giving into fear. I mean, we're all going to feel fear. It's always going to be with us when we try something new, when we try something different, when we put ourselves out there, but it's giving into fear. Like that's the major mistake that so many entrepreneurs make. And it it happens time and time again. Uh, Number two is surrounding yourself with the wrong people. Like you are an average of the five people you spend the most time with. And so often entrepreneurs, they just fall into this trap where they slowly but surely start to surround themselves just with the wrong kind of people who just don't really have the same morals or the same outlook or the same desires in life. And they become the average of that. And there's just is a kind of a downward spiral and a downward trend. And the third thing would be just having a singular mentor, like not having that person that's just where you want to be right now. Because so often in life, we look around a room and whether it's a physical room or a virtual room, and if you're the smartest person in that room, you're in the wrong room. You got to get out of there and find another room where you're being challenged, where people are holding you accountable and making it happen. So having that one mentor that's pulling you upwards is so key. And how do you know that the surrounding people are the right ones for you so that you really make sure, okay, now I'm at the right spot or, oh, no, I'm identifying I'm not in the right spot? You have to just sit down and say, like, what kind of person do I want to be? What type of things do I want to accomplish? What do I want to stand for? What do I want to be important in my life? Once you have a grasp on that, then you can look around and you can say, okay, now I get it. Like now I want to attract these people to me and spend time with these people. And maybe I'm now pretty aware that, you know, friends two, three, and five are just, just do not have those qualities, those traits. How do I move them off of my top five? I'm not saying cut them off forever, but you got to move them out of your top five. And John, do you have a mentor? If yes, who is it? And how did you find him? Yes, I absolutely do have a mentor that is going to continue to be private, but it is a mentor and I believe and I believe in always having a mentor going forward and it's so important. So what I did was I found somebody who is currently where I want to be and I hired him. I said, what's it going to take? You name the price, 
I want to be where you are. I want you to mentor me. And we've been a uh, mentor mentee ever since. Cool. So th because this is interesting, as you said, okay, this is a price to where you're paying because I would have assumed that a lot of people, for example, if I'm thinking of who would I love to have as a mentor, would not be, mm, let's say, acquirable uh, for money, but maybe for something else. Imagine I would love to have, that's not true, but I would love to have uh, Bill Gates or Barack Obama as my personal mentor because maybe this is what I want to do. I guess <laughs> I would never be able to pay Bill Gates because he has all the money in the world. He doesn't need any more money. Maybe he needs something else. So what other things could you think of that could motivate a mentor that you really want to be your mentor? Uh, maybe showing them that your mission in this world aligns with their mission. I mean, maybe they love the charity, charity water. So if you're willing to really become committed to that and, and moving that forward in a very powerful way, then that mentor would be inspired to say, wow, like if you're willing to give that to something that I believe in so strongly, I'm willing to give some of my time. So there's other ways to go about it for sure. Great. John, thank you so much for sharing your insights. Yeah. I wish you all the best with your Entrepreneur on Fire podcast and all the other ventures that you are starting. And especially what one thing that I really like is that you are doing some charity and helping people with building schools, education and so on. Thank you very much for that. Martin, thank you. I really enjoyed the chat today.